Hello, so good to see you again. Welcome back to the gallery of curiosities. I will be your host for the evening, Leopold. Listen well to the melodious sounds of the chorus in the background. It shambles about, following me around the grounds, burbling at guests, and provides a soundtrack to all we see and do here at the gallery. Some people find the chorus a bit disturbing, but it means well. It has the heart of an artist. It keeps it on a shelf above the bedchambers. Tonight's exhibit is also about a musician, one who strives to be the best, even if it costs his very soul. Our author is Lena Ng, who sculpts around Toronto, Canada, and is a zombie member of the Horror Writers Association. She tiptoes at night so no one knows she's awake. Under an Autumn Moon is her short story collection, and she is currently seeking a publisher for her novel, Darkness Beckons, a Gothic Romance. The Monstrous Metronome by Lena Ng The words strangled my heart. I was sick, sick at the unbridled venom released upon me as I read the crawling black-and-white slander in typeset disparaging my work. I, Leon Klein, concert pianist extraordinaire, who has dedicated my life to practice, practice, and more practice, who has devoted my whole being, my whole soul, to the craft of music, read the critiques of last night's concert. Tepid. Conservative. Clearly past the prime of his career. The most bilious of the critiques hearkened from the odious Helmut Archfecken from the Herald's Tribune. This critic did not write, but spilled acid from his pen. He had never cared for my work. He was a beady-eyed, weasel-mouthed man who could never build, only destroy. Despite the intellectual nature of his work, he had the physique of a butcher. He dealt in hyperbole, in cruelty, was paid by each acerbic word to dismantle a lifetime's work. A small, sickening excerpt. Leon Klein whom I will admit had shown flashes of genius in his youth, with last night's performance, instead of aging like fine wine, has turned into vinegar. His playing has descended into an insufferable air of complacency, self-satisfaction and obvious choices. Without the whimsy of attack in the high range and little energy in the low. A short piece, but 
stinging, as though he would not waste words denouncing the performance. I would not have these words be my legacy. In the twilight of my years, I will have vindication. I will perform what no musician has been able to perform. I will play in concert, in one sitting, the piece that no other pianist, living or dead, has been able to play live in front of an audience. Rasponinskis. Magnum Clavijambalisticum, which requires over three hours of virtuoso playing spread over eight focused, grueling movements. It is said that in the final movement, the last two pages are so technically demanding, so technically terrifying, the joints of the hand grind down in its practice. The counterpoint wears down the bones like pumice on clay. One segment, known as the Devil's Minefield, includes blind leaps of the left hand played at an insane staccato speed. It was said the composer had made a Faustian bargain in order to spawn this opus, his only work to remain strangely unscathed after his house had burnt to the ground. His body was never recovered. It was rumored the devil came in person to collect him. <laughs> the Magnum, also known as the Yellow Song at the fear it strikes, was a concerto many musicians have decided never to attempt, not even to gaze over the printed music. For some, the lingering horror of its effect on the prodigy Josef von Gieseking prevented them from endeavouring to play the piece. I had heard snippets of the song from failed efforts from multitudes of up-and-comers who thought this could be a way to make a name for themselves. No recording existed of the finale. An infernal presto con fuoco, the fastest speed one could play, which needed both a limber fluidity and precision, despite a breakneck speed. I have been challenged by pieces before, stretched to the limits of perfection and obsession. If the song would drive me mad, no matter. After the last review, I would never again draw the acclaim I had in my youth. The Magnum would be my swan song. I would perform it or die. I could hear the blood drain from my agent's face when I telephoned him with my plans. It was several moments before he spoke, and when he did, he could not hide his trepidation in his voice. I applaud your ambition, he said. Your risk-taking, your determination, especially at your age in this late stage of your career, a heavy pause, dubious. Uh, but you know, no musician has ever completed the piece. Uh, the most we have is composites, uh, snatches of bars, of motifs, 
Only the composer was able to finish the song in its entirety, and the rumour, ridiculous as it may be, was that he, he sold his soul to the devil. I finished. Preposterous. Ludicrous. As though man has a soul to sell. Yes, I'm well aware of your views of humanity, your nihilism. Whatever the stories may be, no one has ever performed the song in concert. To have you try it is folly, utter hubris. I'm sure this is the same advice given to Sir Edmund Hillary. Without risk, he would have no reputation. I will play it, because it is there. I hung up the phone. The Royal Conservatory of Music's researcher, a milk-toast man, gave me a long, squinting look when I requested the piece. He made a phone call and directed me to the fifth floor of the archives, filled with the musty scent of arcane knowledge, with music dating back to the origin of the form. The librarian gave a smirky little half-smile with an arched brow as I collected the music. No doubt she had heard of the multitude of failed attempts by overly ambitious students who sought to make a name for themselves. She disappeared into the stacks and, after some agonizing minutes, returned with the treasure. I clutched the pages to my chest as I returned home. The beginning phrases were deceptively simple, exquisitely elegant. I could feel a slow electric current traveling up the planes of my hands, down my arms, infusing over my spine. An elongated lager, approximately 60 beats a minute, the pace of a heart at rest. As I played, a languid trance seemed to come over me, as though the music was transporting me to another dimension of existence. My hands seemed to take over and my mind was free to wander. I saw the drifting hills of Orendus Pass and heard the calls to prayer from the spiraled, looming temples. The percussive waves would build and fall, white froth lingering on the abandoned shores. I wept as the dream broke when my fingers could not follow the music's path. Each day I would begin again, slower, then faster, then a missed note, a misplaced phrase, and the structure would tumble. I gnashed my teeth at each abrupt wrench from the musical dream. My hands clenched into fists as I would crash them into the keys with frustration. Weeks went by, then months. I was no nearer to the song's completion. I dreamed of the magnum in my sleep, pounding the piano's ivory keys as the flames leapt and danced while my house burned down around me. My agent came around with more talk to dissuade me. He saw the look in my eye and sat on the corner of the couch. 
I played what I could, and the notes became a discordant mess. My agent sat frozen with a dazed look in his eyes. For a long time, he remained silent, gnawing his thumbnail with worry heavy upon his face. When he again seemed to see me, he discussed at length, haltering at first, then more impassioned, the song's dangerous appeal, the sin of such music, music which could arrest your soul and hypnotize you into doing its bidding, music which could pull the emotion out of the most hardened of hearts and release it into the sky. He left before the sun rose. One night, dark outside for many hours, with eyes red from exhaustion, beard grey and tangled, and body sprawled over the keyboard, I cried out, Oh God, help me! Help me conquer this peace! My labour, my effort, my deepest pride and humility! I offer to you, if I have a soul, I offer it to you. I collapsed, sheets of music drifting from the stand to the floor. The next morning I made a strong pot of coffee. Instead of gulping it down, I slowly sipped it, with deep breathing and repeating a silent mantra to strengthen my resolve. I sat again at the piano. With slow, meticulous repetition, the middle section took audible form. The arching phrases, the ingenious, soaring motifs that hid in the black, barred clefts before revealing themselves in a process of wondrous unveiling, Although the notes seemed to be a tangle of cacophony in a swarm of black dots organized by horizontal lines on the page, I began to understand, to hear the composer's dark, bleeding vision. It was a musical prayer of sorts, a, a begging prayer, a desperate prayer, a musical shield to ward off all the things that lay beyond. As though the composer thought to stave off decay with a melodious path through the confusion of life. My head swam with elusive harmonies and my hands ached from longing. Finally, after hundreds of hours of practicing, I felt ready to start the eighth and final movement. The Devil's Minefield. I needed to approach the piece through the Madowski method, the practice of taking each bar slowly, ingraining each note into muscle memory until perfection was achieved before attacking the next. After ten weeks, I progressed through the first ten bars. 
My hands ached, which affected the parts of the music I'd thought I'd mastered, and my face grew pallid from lack of sunlight. After a particularly grueling session, my eyes roar and knuckles throbbing, I looked to the darkness of the sky. I called to you, O Lord, and you refused to answer. In my hour of need, you have abandoned me. From now on, I will turn my face away from you. Instead of looking above, I will look below. If you cannot help me, I'll now look to your enemy for aid. As you have spurned me, I will spurn you. Lord of darkness, Lucifer, Satan, Beelzebub, the horrors of the underworld, I now beseech you. What I have offered to him, I now offer to you. My soul is yours, if I can play this piece. Outside, the rain beat upon my windows, an answering flash of light and crack of thunder. I heard the deep, mocking laugh of a thousand demons. I done? I shrank away from the piano, went to my bedroom and sank to the corner of my bed. A flood of sunlight filled my room. I awoke amidst a tangle of sheets. I touched my haggard face, my sunken chest, the length of my spindly legs. The day was the same as any other. I'd woken whole, not struck down by last night's utterance of blasphemy. Could it have been a dream? The condemnation of God and my offer to serve the devil. I dragged myself to my ivoried captor. The piano's keys seemed hateful to me now. Before I could approach the instrument in the spirit of music's construction, now I saw it as the future of my destruction. The pages of the eighth movement stared at me, conquered me. I attacked and retreated, made slight progress before being beaten back, massaged my temples and rubbed my enfeebled obstinate hands until the sun's cooling rays began to drift into the horizon. I thrust myself away from the keyboard. The pent-up frustration led to pacing, and in a creative, impotent rage, I made my way from the house and skulked into the soot-covered cobbled streets of the city. It was his weird eye that caught me. Though it was through glass, his 
goatish eye stopped me in my tracks. The window display showed such eccentric goods of gears and brass, and machines which could create an electric current with the turning of a wheel, tin toys with faded paint on their harlequin costumes, droopy-headed marionettes which hung limply from their restraints. So many peculiar things, sinister things. It could have been the devil's own odds and ends shop with items befitting his fireplace mantle. In the corner of the display, a carved wooden contraption, triangular in shape, held my attention. A metronome in gleaming teak with strange engravings like evil omens over the entirety of its surface. The shop's door creaked as I entered the darkened emporium. The air smelt of age and oppression. The curiosities were crammed everywhere, on shelves to the ceiling, behind the counter, even haphazardly on the floor. I could have examined more closely the murky jars and encased porcelains, but instead I pointed to the window display. The weird-eyed proprietor, who had the squat physique of a goblin with a heavy jaw to match, gave me a leering smile like he held a perverse secret. He picked up the metronome and gave it to me for inspection. The wood of the device felt warm, almost alive, with its dormant heart inside. He pointed out a marking. Did I not recognize the crimson sign? He tapped the tangled marking. Why do you want it? For the Magnum Clavicembalisticum. He cackled as he declared I was mad. I could have placed my hands around his neck and strangled him right there. Instead, I wound my trembling fingers into a knot and asked him why he would say this. Oh, I know of the scandals that composition has created. The denouncements by the ruling class, the condemnations by the clergy. The disappearance of its composer. The handwritten parchment pages unscathed despite being surrounded by ash. The gibbering insanity of Josef von Gieseking and other stories you may not have heard of. The stories suppressed by the clandestine societies of occult religions. I trade in mystical artifacts with these cults. Hear murmurs of their secrets. The strange case of Uwe Wagner. I understand he had fallen, but why was he there? What happened to Klaus Hoffmann's hands, to Gunter Richter's eyes? He held tight around the metronome. His warnings were no use to me. They only strengthened my resolve. He gave me a look that recognized obsession. It calls to you. He lowered his voice. This metronome is the catalyst. It is the key to dimensions of which you have never dreamed. 
Its past is shrouded in mystery. Who had carved its profane runes? Who had marked it with the crimson sign? Was its timber hewn from the wood of the suicides? It has burned through generations of the infamous, musically genius Grimanacci's. Madness runs through that family. The presence of the metronome dismissed as a strange coincidence. It is also said that with the metronome's hypnotic beat, instead of time being your master, with this device, you will master time. We haggled over the price, and of course I paid dearly. At home, I placed the metronome on the piano, removed the cover, and wound the device with the accompanying silver key. I ran the tips of my fingers over the strange carvings which resembled a Rorschach drawing. Disembodied eyes, a coil of boneless limbs, wisps of tangled hair. I set the speed to Allegro, a decent speed, but not nearly as fast as the piece was written to be played. Instead of concentrating on the music, I listened to the metronome's beat. It had a hypnotic rhythm, and... In a trance, my hands were flying over the keyboard, dancing over the minefield, leaping over the flames. The notes pounded in my head, taking me on a journey. I flew over the soaring cliffs of Viscay, where hordes of winged creatures nested. I dove into the underwater caves of Nistothlomon, where the volcanic eruptions sent currents through the waters. Lost in the flow of the music of its own volition, the metronome seemed to speed up. My hands played faster, faster. Not my own hands anymore, but the tool of some dark god. In time, with the beat, my heart thumped in my chest, and the sweat trickled down my red face to drip from my jaw. My hands leapt from one end of the keyboard to the other. With other concertos, my one hand would know where to go while I could keep an eye on the other. With this piece, however, my eyes would flicker between both hands as they bounded over the keys. Fluttering arpeggios, not in tandem, but in maddening counterpoint. Abrupt key changes, abrupt time changes, odd numbers juxtaposed against even, syncopated rhythms, atonal motifs which didn't reveal their meaning until the final thunderous passage, the hammer of the metronome driving me onwards. I would fall asleep in my bed, but awoke with my hands over the keys. The music, the metronome's drum invading my dreams. I knew that sound well. It was the pulsing of the metronome. The counting down of life's seconds. The beating of my old man's heart. Now, as I played, a feeling 
unfamiliar swelled in my chest and moved into my throat. It tasted of triumph. My agent dropped by unannounced. There must have been a wildness to my face, since he couldn't help but shrink back. Have you been eating? Sleeping? He asked, instead of asking how I was. Listen, I said, for you are about to witness history. I sat him on the Duchess chair so I could watch his astonishment. He furrowed his brow as I released the metronome's tang, with its beat guiding the way. From my hands flowed music and opened windows into the uncanny. We began a journey over skyways and seas. I felt the singe of the stars, the foam and flash of oceans trembling. But something was wrong, and I felt my hands tiring. I gnashed my teeth. I felt the condescending gaze of my agent upon me, his heavy silence as he sat bolted upon the chair. Just as I was about to start, the devil's minefield. Stop! said my agent, shooting up from the chair. Don't you see that horrible thing glaring? The music was broken, and an uncontrollable sensation of hatred seized me. All my work, all of my art, all my concentration poorly heated. A vortex of emotions exploded from within. I hated this man more than I have ever hated anyone. I sprang up from the bench. His eyes bulged as he felt my strong pianist hands around his neck. I squeezed until I heard something break. My clenched hands relaxed, and I spent the rest of the evening digging a grave. I felt no remorse, and later slept like the dead. The night of the concert was upon me. An unusual setup. Within the piano bench, noise muffled, to be heard only by my ears. The metronome, muted, ticked away. The concert hall was full. I spotted the odious critic, Helmut Archfecken, seated in the left wing. Despite the tuxedo, he still resembled a butcher. His face looked both bloated and smug like he ate too much cream. I wanted to wipe the gloat from his face. I walked to the center of the stage, my polished shoes gleaming under the lights, and took a deep bow 
I pushed back the tails of my tuxedo as I sat on the velveteen bench. Within the bench I heard the soft ticking, like the sound of a wristwatch. I paused for only a moment, and then I began. The beginning lulled the audience with its largo melody and elongated phrases. The metronome's pace quickened as I moved through the middle movements, rivulets of sweat dripping from my reddened face to my collar. The melodic phrases brought me to the days of the continental shift. The movement of the land as it shuddered over the planet. It led me to the deepest parts of the ocean where sightless sea creatures gibber and glow. The tick of the metronome. And suddenly, I was distracted. From the corner of my eye, I glimpsed. Lord, forgive me. The maggot white face of my agent. He grinned at me with a lipless sneer. The audience, I realized with a start, was that of the damned. There in the corner sat Josef von Gieseking, his mouth opened, and out emerged a swollen coffin worm which squirmed against his mottled lips. There in the third row sat Klaus Hoffmann, splaying the mutilation of his hands. In an aisle seat sat Gunter Richter, who watched my performance with segmented eyes. Helmut Archficken stretched the black wings which had punctured through the back of his tight-fitting tuxedo. Finally, the end was nigh. The eighth movement was fast approaching the dreaded Devil's Minefield. Both hands attacked the keys, leaping, soaring, hands inhumanly wild. The metronome's ticking, the ticking, the infernal ticking. Speeding up, faster than Presto Confroco, faster than Fury, driving the swiftness of my heart. <coughs> Whipping me like the backs of galloping horses, like the red shoes of the doomed ballerina who was sentenced to death by dance. Despite the exhaustion and fear, I was glued to the piano keys, fingers hurtling over white keys and black. A crushing weight bloomed in my chest, shallow, labored breaths, a strange, acrid smell of brimstone. Sweat turned into blood, seeped from my pores. A frightening lightning of pain struck through my jaw, along my left arm, radiating from the ribs to my back. The metronomes, pounding, relentless beat, drove me onward. 
I could no more leave the keys to clutch at my chest in agony than a man release an electrified wire. Tongues of fire danced around the stage, screamed its heated language. The theater was burning around me. The shrieks as the audience joined in, the smell of roasting flesh polluting the air, the perfume of suffering, the passion, the horror. This was no longer a concert, but a grotesque scene from the blood-soaked Grand Greek. No! I played louder to drown out the screaming. With each leap of my hands during the devil's minefield, with a heart-stabbing twang, the piano strings started snapping, slicing sounds thrumming through the air, stabbing pain where the piano wires hooked into my hands, my shoulders, punctured through my polished shoes, until I resembled a musician turned marionette. What happened to my eyes? Blinded by blood, I heard infernal laughing as the song's prayer was answered. Now, he was here to collect I felt his presence shambling up the steps to the stage. Now he stood at the top of the stairs. I heard his squelching glide across the platform. Nearer and nearer he came. Now he was at the end of the piano. I smelled the breath of decay. I felt a bloated palm brush my skin. The branding of the sign into my neck. I don't know how much time has passed. Centuries, perhaps? the blink of an eye. Hellfire burns in the fireplace. On its mantle, I am the central display. I hear the clicking turn of a metal key, fresh pain as the pull of piano wire strings cause my hands to start moving. For his amusement, the devil's minefield, his favorite part, I will play for eternity. Would you make a deal with the devil to achieve greatness? 
I'm not saying that's how I took over the job as caretaker of the gallery, but I will say that it's a good idea to have some extra souls around just in case you need to sell one. If you play your cards right, it really is a seller's market. You just heard the dulcet tones of our narrator, voice actor Kristen Holland, who is the creator of the excellent Nocturnal Transmissions short horror story podcast. He also appears as Dr. Malcolm Ryder, parapsychologist, on the A Voice from Darkness podcast. Not only a mercurial voice actor, he is also a professional musician, singer, actor, and commercial voiceover artist. You can find out more about the Nocturnal Transmissions podcast on their official website, nocturnaltransmissions.com.au. And now, friends, to send you off with one of my favorite traditional toasts. We lit the candle from both ends. It wouldn't last the night, but ah, my fellows and my friends, the flame, it burned so bright. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Story copyrights remain with the authors. This episode was produced in October of 2021. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. If a musician is decomposing inside his coffin. Does it mean his songs are now to be played backwards?